Dr. Baliga here. This podcast is the second podcast on ovarian cancer from an outstanding chapter authored by Kelsey Lapenis from Duke University, Michael J. Bearer, MD, PhD, was professor at Harvard Medical School when this chapter was submitted, Dr. John O. George, MD, who's director of gynecologic oncology at Tufts Medical Center, and the senior author is Dr. Richard T. Penson, MD, MRCP, who's the medical director of gynecologic oncology at the Mass General Hospital and an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. This outstanding chapter is in Baliga's textbook of internal medicine with 1480 multiple choice questions available at www.mastermedfacts.com. This podcast is on the therapies of ovarian cancer, including follow-up care, staging, Formal staging traditionally entails an exploratory laparotomy, total abdominal hysterectomy, and bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy, omentectomy, careful examination of all organ and peritoneal surfaces, sampling of ascites, pelvis, and paracolic gutters, and multiple peritoneal and lymph node biopsies. However, minimally invasive approaches by laparoscopy are becoming more commonplace. One quarter of cancers are thought to be confined to the ovary, that's stage 1, or pelvis, which is stage 2, will have micrometastatic disease in lymph nodes, which is stage 3C, peritoneal biopsies, or the omentum, which is stage 3A, upstaging the tumor. The FIGO ovarian cancer staging includes stage 1 to 4, Stage 1 is where tumors confined to one or both ovaries. 1A, confined to one ovary, capsule intact, no tumor on external surface, no ascites or peritoneal washings, malignancy. Stage 1B, bilateral tumors. Stage 1C, tumor in one or both ovaries with ruptured capsule, tumor on external surface, malignant ascites or peritoneal washings. Stage 2 is pelvic extension. Stage 2A, extension to the pelvis, uterus or fallopian tubes. Stage 2B and C, criteria as per stage 1. Stage 3 is abdominal or nodal metastasis. Stage 3A is microscopic peritoneal metastasis. Stage 3B, macroscopic peritoneal metastasis, less than 2 cm in size. Stage 3C, more than 2 cm abdominal disease or positive lymph nodes. Stage 4, extra abdominal or visceral metastasis. Stage 4A, cytologically positive pleural effusion. Stage 4B, extra abdominal disease or visceral metastasis. Cytoreductive surgery. Surgery is necessary in all but the oldest, most unfit patients. Cytoreductive surgery was inspired by Meigs and Griffiths in both allows bulk reduction of tumor, correction of abdominal physiology, whether it's GI or renal obstruction, protein loss in ascites, and removes poorly perfused tumor associated with chemotherapy resistance. The goal of surgery should be zero residual disease as the degree to which tumor is surgically reduced plays a large role in the prognosis. 
the definition of optimal cytoreductive surgery when intraperitoneal chemotherapy is then considered re- refers to achieving res- residual disease thickness less than 1 cm in diameter. Bristow showed median survival benefits 34 months versus 25 months in institutions that achieved 75% of maximal cytoreduction versus 25% of maximal cytoreduction respectively. Van der Berg randomized patients with an initial suboptimal debulking to chemotherapy with cisplatin and cyclophosphamide or chemotherapy with a further interval cytoreductive effort after three chemotherapy cycles with three further adjuvant cycles. The very positive results, that is 33% reduction in risk of death, p-value of 0.008, have been interpreted to provide the best control evidence for the survival advantage of cytoreductive surgery, with Bristol's meta-analysis confirming the importance of cytoreduction, even though tumor biology is the primary determinant of operative outcome. Another study repeated Van der Berg's study in the US and showed that interval debulking is only beneficial when non-gynecologic oncology did the initial surgery. Prognosis, age, stage and surgical excess are the primary determinants of prognosis beyond extent that stage and volume of disease, especially post-op residual volume, Adverse histology such as clear cell or mucinous, high tumor grade, poor global quality of life and comorbidities also worsen prognosis. Women under the age of 65 years are twice as likely to survive 5 years after initial diagnosis than older women. Grade and histological subtype are also important. Surgical cure rates of more than 90% are expected in patients diagnosed with lower grade stage 1 ovarian cancer, while high grade tumors, even when at an apparently early stage, recur about 25%. Patients with a BRCA mutation have a better prognosis than those who do not carry a BRCA mutation because of increased chemotherapy sensitivity due to failure of DNA repair. With better surgeries, the advent of platinum and taxane based chemotherapy and clinical exams such as CT and CA125, the chance of remission has improved from 30% to more than 75% over the last 30 years. Even so, there has been minimal impact on the cure rate of ovarian cancer, imparting a very real need to find better prevention, screening and therapy, though patients typically live twice as long with recurrence as from diagnosis to recurrence. Five-year overall survival rate has been consistently approximately 40% over the last 20 years. Treatment of early-stage ovarian cancer. Patients diagnosed with early-stage ovarian cancer should have surgical removal of the tumor followed by complete surgical staging. No adjuvant chemotherapy is required in patients with stage 1A and 1B, grade 1 or 2 disease. All other patients should receive 3 to 6 chemotherapy cycles of carboplatin and paclitaxel for an approximate 10% absolute improvement in 5-year overall survival. 
the GOG, that is Gynecologic Oncology Group 157, found that six cycles of treatment, though associated with higher toxicity levels, that is 11% versus 2% with grade 3 by 4 neurotoxicity, compared with three cycles, was associated with fewer recurrences in high-risk serous tumors, 17% versus 40%, p-value of 0.007. In young women with early stage who wish to preserve their fertility, conservative surgery has shown to be as successful in survival rates as complete surgery, and laparoscopy offers adequate staging with far fewer complications and morbidity. Neoadjuvant therapy, not all patients are suitable for immediate surgical cytoreduction due to age or comorbidity. Primary or neoadjuvant platinum-based chemotherapy to reduce tumor size followed by interval debulking after three of six chemotherapy has been demonstrated in a recent randomized study to be as good or non-inferior as primary cytoreductive surgery. Although optimal debulking was achieved in twice as many who underwent interval debulking, median time to recurrence was 12 months and the median overall survival was not impacted, which is about 2.5 years, that is 30 versus 29 months. And so if initial debulking is possible, that is favored as intraperitoneal chemotherapy does impact survival. New adjuvant approaches are typically reserved for older, frailer women with comorbidities and selected patients with a poor chance of achieving optimal cytoreduction, which is defined as stage 4 visceral metastasis. And uh, still controversial is those with ascites, extensive peritoneal involvement on CT, and with CA125 levels more than 500 units per ml. Treatment of advanced stage ovarian cancer, optimally debulked patients, following optimal cytoreductive surgery, administration of a combination of platinum-based chemotherapy has become standard. Six cycles of ataxane together with cisplatin or carboplatin therapy. The GOG-158, a phase three randomized trial reported comparable efficacy of carboplatin with a 3R paxitaxel infusion versus cisplatin with a less convenient and more toxic 24R paxitaxel infusion. Adding a third cytotoxic agent only increases toxicity further. Although combination platinum-based chemotherapy has a response or remission rate of greater than 80%, the majority of patients with advanced stage epithelial ovarian cancer will have a recurrence and a five-year survival of only 25%, and this is from the Sears database. Intraperitoneal chemotherapy. Intraperitoneal chemotherapy has a long history with three randomized controlled trials, each demonstrating a survival advantage Intraperitoneal therapy is attractive because tumor often remains confined to the abdomen and it achieves a higher platinum, that is 10 times more platinum and 1000 times more taxane, local concentration than systemic or IV administration. 
the most recent phase 3 randomized trial reported the best overall survival in advanced epithelial ovarian cancer that is 66 versus 50 months in optimally cytoreduced patients treated with intraperitoneal paclitaxel and intraperitoneal cisplatin however the study also reported complications in one quarter of the of the patients and only 42% of the intraperitoneal patients could complete the full six cycles of chemotherapy primarily due to catheter related problems such that intraperitoneal therapy is only used in 25 to 60% of eligible patients in the US in suboptimally debulked patients residual disease more than 1 cm indicates a worse prognosis than optimally debulked patients maguire's original study that is gog 111 defined cisplatin in combination with paclitaxel as a standard care for patients with suboptimal residual disease when it demonstrated a 73% response rate and an overall survival of 38 months more recently the scottish gynecological cancer trials group that is scotrc scott rc reported that substituting docetaxel for paclitaxel delivered equal progression free survival with different toxicities the standard therapy is six cycles of carboplatin and paclitaxel based on gog 158 the role of vascular endothelial growth factor vegf targeted monoclonal antibody bevacizumab which demonstrated an overall survival advantage among this population in the trial icon 7 remains controversial in the us but led to the approval of bevacizumab for this indication in europe management of recurrent ovarian cancer Most women with epithelial ovarian cancer die within 5 years from recurrent disease. The most important predictor of response to further chemotherapy is the potential platinum sensitivity which is tightly associated with the platinum free survival. Platinum sensitive disease is arbitrarily defined by a relapse more than 6 months from prior platinum whereas platinum resistance is implied by a relapse within a 6 month period patients with potentially platinum sensitive tumors should receive combination platinum based chemotherapy which has shown higher response rates and at least longer progression free survival than single agent chemotherapy options include carboplatin in combination with paclitaxel gemcitabine or pegylated liposomal doxorubicin second cyto Reductive surgery should be considered in select patients with a prior optimal cytoreduction, oligometastatic disease, and a progression-free interval of greater than one year. With platinum-resistant tumors, the prognosis is poor. Secondary cytoreduction is not recommended, and single-agent non-platinum-based chemotherapy can palliate symptoms with. pegylated liposomal doxorubicin weekly paclitaxel gemcitabine topotecan and permotrex all showing effectiveness in phase 2 trials however chemotherapy often has only 
10 to 20% response rate with little or no impact on survival. Maintaining quality of life, that is quality time with, without symptoms or treatment, should be the primary treatment goal. There is a desperate need for more effective therapy and patients should consider enrolling in a cl clinical trial. An important question to consider is when to start therapy for a recurrent disease. Rising levels of CA125 are often the first and a horribly accurate indicator of relapse even when asymptomatic. Trust in randomized patients and clinicians to be blinded to the CA125 during surveillance and those who did not show that CA125 started chemotherapy for symptomatic progression of diseases four point months later with no decrease in survival and better quality of life. P equals 0.002. Rustin et al. 2010. At the other extreme, waiting too long can result in disease becoming too advanced for treatment. When more than 5 centimeters, there's a poor chances of benefiting from chemo and poor survival, leaving the precise timing of therapy a controversial issue. There are four distinct chapters to patient's experience. First-line therapy and remission, hoping for cure. Repeated remissions when they are free from disease, but the inevitability of recurrence hanging over them. Continually on palliative chemotherapy. And the last, typically dominated by tapping ascites by paracentesis and effusions or bowel obstruction. If the disease has been refractory to two lines of chemotherapy, referral to a palliative care team should be considered. Novel therapies for ovarian cancer, targeting the blood supply or development of new blood vessels, angiogenesis in ovarian cancer is attractive as VEGF levels are particularly high, manifest as ascites and plural effusions, and the response rate to bevacizumab, a recombinant humanized monoclonal antibody directed against VEGF, are the highest, that is about 16 to 25% of any report in oncology and chemotherapy response rates 50% to two times higher when given in combination with bevacizumab in the Oceans and Aurelia studies. Anti-angiogenic therapy appears to impact progression-free survival whilst not impacting care and may improve overall survival when given across multiple lines of therapy. In Europe, randomized Clinical trials could be conducted with patients in control arms having no subsequent access to bevacizumab and thus demonstrated an overall survival in high risk, that is suboptimally cytoreduced patients, and the drug was approved in 2012 based on the ICON-7 study. Bevacizumab has generally been considered well tolerated. The most common grade 3 by 4 toxicities are hypertension and proteinuria with gastrointestinal perforation reported in 2% and major hemorrhage, myocardial infarction or CVA in 1% and the bevacizumab remains costly and controversial. PRP inhibitors are an exciting new class of drugs and the first to provide a tailored therapy for patients with BRCA gene mutations and possibly serious ovarian tumors that are often around 50% BRCA dysfunctional, that is they possess BRCNS 
BRCA1 and 2 are part of the DNA repaid machinery that produces homogeneous recombination. The primary mechanism for high fidelity DNA double strand break repair that uses a template strand of DNA to guide accurate repair. When there is an inherited that is less than 10% or somatic 10 to 15% PRCA mutation or the gene is silenced by promoter methylation that is BRCNS. This creates synthetic lethality where a cell remains viable with either two or related cellular processes that is either homologous recombination or NER which is nucleotide excision repair but cannot survive with the loss of both simultaneously as when a patient with a BRCA mutation is treated with the PARP inhibitor. The PARP inhibitor Olaparib has a 30 to 60 percent response rate in platinum sensitive disease and a survival ad advantage in randomized studies. Other interesting targets are alpha folate receptor, the tumor marker mucin CA125 or MUC16, PI3 kinase that is phosphodetyl inositol 3 kinase, MET or VGFR2 and immune surveillance. Increasingly, therapy is tailored to the identified or anticipated molecular drivers, BRCA for serous tumors, that is PARP inhibitors, as in GOG9923, PI3 kinase and mTOR in endometroid tumors, as in GOG86P, anti-angiogenic agents in clear cell cancers, as in GOG254, GI regimens with an anti-angiogenic in mucinous tumors, that is in GOG241, and MEC or BRAF inhibitors in low-grade serous tumors, such as in GOG239. In September 2019, a New England Journal Medical article reported Niraparib, uh, a PARP inhibitor, that is inhibitor of polyadenosine diphosphate ribose polymerase inhibitor in patients with newly diagnosed advanced ovarian cancer who had a response to platinum-based chemotherapy. When those received niraparib, they had significantly longer progression-free survival than those who received placebo, regardless of the presence or absence of homologous recombination deficiency. Follow-up care in ovarian cancer during the first two years following the end of chemotherapy treatment. The patient should be seen every three months. Biannual checkups should be scheduled for the next three years. Then after five years, only annual examinations are recommended. And follow-up by the PCP may be as effective, cheaper, and have better health maintenance and cancer screening as earlier diagnosis of recurrence may not significantly impact survival. Attending to psychosocial stresses is important following a cancer diagnosis with a high incidence of anxiety and depression, which is seen in about 40%, PTSD in 25%, and fatigue and sexual dysfunction. Practical healthcare information such as diet, weight, osteoporosis, etc. 
and screening information for other cancers such as colonoscopy and mammography and an array of support systems are all important. This podcast is derived from an outstanding chapter on ovarian cancer authored by Kelsey Lapanas, who is now at Duke, Dr. Michael J. Birrer, MD, PhD, who was professor at Harvard Medical School, Dr. John O. George, MD, who is director of gynecologic oncology at Tufts Medical Center, and the senior author is Richard T. Penson, MD, MRCP, who is the medical director of gynecologic oncology at the Mass General Hospital and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. The chapter is derived from Baliga's textbook of internal medicine with 1,480 multiple choice questions available at www.mastermedfacts.com.